idea today is Jesus gets the last word. Jesus gets the last word, which is a good thing. I want to break this down into four events. There's the transfiguration. There's Moses and Elijah. There's Peter wanting to build his booths and satisfy his edifice complex. And the voice of God the Father who says, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Um, Peter takes, or Jesus takes Peter, James, and John to this mountain, probably Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is up near Caesarea Philippi, and it's about 9,200 feet. Mountains play a major role in the word of God. It was on a mountain called Moriah that God manifested his grace to Abraham when he willingly offered up his son Isaac. It was on Mount Sinai that God handed down his law to Moses. It was on Mount Carmel that God demonstrated his power to Israel through Elijah. It was on Mount Horeb that God ministered peace to the troubled heart of Elijah. It was on Mount Calvary that Jesus died for our sins on the cross. It was from the Mount of Olives that Jesus ascended back into his heavenly glory. And it will be that same mountain that will greet his feet when he returns from glory to glory. So mountains play an important role in, in the word of God. So Peter, James, and John appear to be the inner circle. And, and there are several times when Jesus brings them further in than the normal disciples, the other disciples. One is the healing of Jairus' daughter. When they go into the house, he brings Peter, James, and John. When Peter's mother-in-law, last week we talked about that, when he goes in and goes up to be with her, Peter, James, and John go with him. When he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he dies, um, he brings all the disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane, but Peter, James, and John go in further with him. Now they fell asleep, but nevertheless, they were, they were closer to him. And it's not that he loved them more, they loved him more. It was that it seems to be that they were more intimate with him than the other disciples. Um, it's, it's like a smaller group from the larger group. It's called, you know, you, know, you have a vestry that represents. You have a school board that represents. And then hopefully what we have in our lives are people that are closer to us than other people, people that we can kind of let our hair down with and be really honest with and speak to. Um, in an open, real, this is who I really am, and this is how I'm really feeling, what do you think, kind of way. Um, Abraham Lincoln said, Bust is the man who has one other person in his life who will tell him the truth. It's true. It really is true when you think about it. So Jesus is transfigured, and the word in Greek is metamorphos. We get our word metamorphosis from that. And it means a change from the inside out, change from the inside out. It's, it's the opposite of the word masquerade, where you put on a disguise or something from the outside. He kind of shows up in his pre-human glory when he says, this is in John 17, his high priestly prayer, and now, Father, glorify me in thy own presence with the glory which I had with thee before the world was made. This is Jesus' normal state, glory, whiteness, radiant. It says whiter than any fuller a bleacher on the world could do. There's just liberal theologians try to say, oh, the, the clouds were there and the sun broke through and he looked bright. You know, that's not what this is. He is now in his pre-creation form. This is his normal state. 
And he gave it up for us. He gave it up for us. He didn't have to do this. You know, he didn't have to give that up in order to become this poor carpenter, Jesus of Nazareth, and live the life that he lived and go through what he went through for the sinners of the world in order to restore them to wholeness with the Father. He didn't have to do that, but he gave it up for us. And I love when Peter, we are our second reading today, uh, when Peter is talking about this with other people, says, don't forget, we were with him on the mountain and we saw this. We're eyewitnesses to his glory. This really happened. This isn't something that we're making up. The next thing that happens is Moses and Elijah show up. Moses represents the law. Elijah represents the prophets, the law and the prophets. And it's interesting to me that Peter, James, and John knew who they were. It wasn't like Jesus said, um, James and Peter, James, I'd like you to meet Moses and Elijah. They knew it was Moses and Elijah, which says to me, we're going to know people. We're just going to know who people are. We'll be recognizable as human beings. There they are standing there as human beings, as Moses and Elijah. Now, they're not all bright and shiny, but they're like real people, you know. And one of them had died, I don't know, 1,400 years earlier, and one had died 900 years earlier. Moses actually died. This, also, Moses died a normal death, and Elijah was taken up. Um, as they went on and talked, behold, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, and Elijah went up in a whirlwind into heaven. So there's a couple of ways you can go. You can die and be buried or whatever you're going to be, ashes, whatever it might be, or you can get whipped up without dying. But, and, and then, of course, the end time stuff, there's all sorts of stuff about that. not going to get into that today. I also like the fact that Moses is now in the promised land. Remember, he was forbidden to go into the promised land before he died. Remember why? Because they, did, they needed water, and Jesus said, or God said, talk to the rock. Tell the rock to give water. And he, went, and he struck the rock twice. And for that crime of disobedience, he says, well, for just for that, you're not going to go in the promised land. But here he is. He's in the promised land. And so also Elijah is interesting to me. Um, as you read through Kings, and after the, the incident on Mount Carmel where, the, where he kills all these prophets of Baal, he runs away, and he hides, and he's terrified of Jezebel. And Ahab, what are they going to do to me? And he hides, and he's, he says, just let me die. And he goes through this whole thing. The angels come to him, and there's some back and forth, and he goes and does a little bit more. But basically, he just runs out of gas. He, he does. Elijah does. You know, think about that. And God says, all right, fine, you're done. I'm going to send a taxi for you. And that's exactly what happens. But here he is. He'd run his race, he'd run out of gas, but here he is with Jesus on the mountain. And they're, they're, uh, they're talking. People very often pit the New Testament against the Old Testament. Some people just want to do away with the Old Testament as not having any value. They really do. We're just New Testament people. This is all we need. Boom. 
But Moses and Elijah announced continuity with the New Testament and Jesus. And they're having this, this continuity is represented by this friendly conversation. And what they're talking about, we know from Luke, is, is it's Jesus' exodus from earth, okay? His departure from earth, and the word is exodus, exodus. And they're talking about the events that are going to take place at the end of his life, his, his crucifixion and his resurrection. This is what Moses, Elijah, and Jesus are talking about. So they're having this friendly conversation. Um, the discontinuity comes with the singling out of Jesus over the law and the prophets. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. The Old Testament and the New Testament sing duet, but the New Testament carries the melody. Okay? They work together, they're hand in hand, but the New Testament trumps the Old Testament. So Peter now speaks up, and he wants to build three booths. He's basically thinking, this is great. Why does it have to end? Let's just stay here. We'll run things from here. This will be our new headquarters, the mountaintop. Have you ever had that feeling like you don't want it to end, you don't want Monday to come. I remember when I was going through that Curcio weekend back in 1981, 81. I knew that Monday was coming, but I didn't want it to come. I just wanted to stay there. But I knew I had to go, like, back to work, you know. And so this is what Peter's feeling. He sees a glorified Jesus. He sees Moses. He sees Elijah. He just doesn't want this to end. You got to love Peter. He blurts this out. Some people have something to say, and some people just have to say something. You ever know anybody like that? So be careful who you listen to, all right? Because six days earlier, Peter and Jesus were having this conversation. And Jesus is basically saying, well, here's the deal. I have to go, and I'm going to have be crucified, and da-da-da-da-da. And Peter's going, no, 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 no. Look, look what's happening. The crowds are getting bigger. More wonderful things are happening. Forget all that talk about crucifixion and death. We've got, we're, we're in the money now. We've got a following, and it's growing. And Jesus' answer to that was, get behind me, Satan. All right? And that wasn't too long after he said to Peter, who, who am I? You know, you're the Christ, the son of the living God, but then get behind me, Satan. So he's got this personality. Peter wanted to get to the finish line without suffering. He wanted to get to the finish line without paying the price. And there's really nothing worthwhile in life that, that, it, that doesn't take hard work, that doesn't have um, difficulty associated with it. I don't care, I don't care if it's going through getting a degree, I don't care if it's starting a business, working, I don't care if it's a marriage, raising kids, whatever it might be, building a church, <laughs> you know, there are issues that you have to deal with. And Peter just wanted to get away with, do away with all of the, all of the difficulties, you know. Let's just keep moving forward. It's all good. In the men's Bible study on, on Tuesday morning, 
we were talking about um, kind of what's coming because Paul is writing to the Thessalonian church saying, I'm so proud of you for standing up for your faith in the face of persecution. And we were talking about what that looks like today. And as we were reading various verses, we found out that Peter, Paul, John, and Jesus all say the same thing. When you are a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, you can expect persecution and difficulty. Just going ex- to just expect it. And we're coming back to a time now, I think, when that's going to be more the case than it has been for really most of our lifetime. But nevertheless, he's also guilty of something called syncretism. He says, well, I'll build a booth for Jesus and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He puts Moses, Jesus, and Elijah on the same plane. They're not on the same plane. Jesus is above the law and the prophets. Jesus is not one of many ways to heaven. It's not about Buddha or Gandhi or Muhammad or anybody else. It's just Jesus. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now we have a cloud. A cloud overshadows them. A voice says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And this really is the climax of the story. Uh, the voice at baptism came down and, uh, and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. There is no listen to him at baptism. But here it's different. And it's not a son, but my one and only son. Listen to him. Because I think the single most important fact that God wants the church and the world to know is what we have in Jesus. Right? What we have in Jesus. So when the Old Testament goes one way and Jesus goes another way, you go with Jesus. It looks like this. Jesus says, Do you not see that whatever goes into a man from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach, and so passes out? Thus he declared all foods clean. Jesus, in that sentence, did away with all of the dietary laws from the Old Testament. All that stuff about what you can eat and what you can't eat. I love these, some of these, these people who will come up and say to a Christian, do you like shrimp? You like shrimp? Do you? Oh, I love shrimp. Yeah, I like it. Well, you know you're committing a sin, don't you, when you eat shrimp. And they'll go to the Old Testament place where it says what you can't eat, and you can't eat something unless it has fins out of the water. So you can't eat clams and you can't eat oysters and you can't eat shrimp. But what they don't know is what I just read to you, where Jesus did away with all of the dietary laws. Jesus' crucifixion was the final great sacrifice, and it does away with all the sacrificial laws. That's why we're not sacrificing chickens on the altar here. We don't do that anymore. All right? Somebody said, we need to read the Old Testament with our Jesus glasses on. I think that's a good way to look at it. Scripture is the norm over the church, and the gospel is the norm over Scripture. Okay? Scripture is the norm over the church, and the gospel is the norm over Scripture. And another thing, too, Peter was never meant to be the final say. Peter, as the church, was never meant to be the final voice. 
We want to be careful when the church says, listen to us. When the church says, listen to us, then what you do is you say, well, how does this square with the word of God? How does this square with what Jesus would say? So when the, word, when the church declares that same-sex marriage is just A-okay in the church, you say, hmm, I recall Jesus saying, for this reason a man shall leave his mother and father, cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one, indicating marriage is between a man and a woman, lifelong faithful monogamous and heterosexual. Hmm. But the church said this, but Jesus said that. I'm going with him. I'm going with him. Not in a kind of mean-spirited, we-hate-people way, but this is just the way it is. So you've got to be careful with that. So it says, listen to him. It's like, listen, hear, and then do. Right? It's not enough just to, to listen. You've got to hear what he has to say, and then you've got to do what he has to say. You know, kind of like your kids. Because when your kids, you tell your kids to do something, they listen, and then they hear, and then they instantly do it. Per- perfectly. Huh? Well, I'm sure that yours do. I mean, these are my perfect grandchildren who never do anything wrong and always instantly obey their parents. Okay. Yeah, like Liam, like uh, you're just they're just a chip off the old block, buddy. <laughs> so it's not enough to listen. You've got to hear what it has to say and then you got to put it into action. That's that's the key. You know. You can't just nod and run off and do your own thing. Jesus has to be our north star our guiding light, never take our eyes off of him. We're living in a time of great stress. We're living in a time of great uncertainty. You know, something's happened. A switch got flipped here because we were running around 50 people at this service, and now it's, how many we got, Ken? Well, two more than last week. Hallelujah. We're on the way up. We're on the move. 25 last week, 27 this week. But something switched. I'm not sure what it, what it was. Maybe because I had COVID. I don't know. Something, some, something turned. So there's more uncertainty in people's lives. There's certainly uncertainty in the, in the national body politic about what's happening and the direction that we're going. How are we going to get out of this? Are we in a free fall? That kind of thing. Um, but I would just I would tell you, don't be discouraged. And don't be fearful. God's still running the show. He's still running the show. My prayer continues to be that the truth be known and justice be done. And that he will lead, guide, and direct his people in the way that he wants us to go. I also believe this. It may seem strange. I believe there's a great awakening coming. I believe that we're going to see a movement and an outpouring of the Holy Spirit like we have never seen in our lifetime. It's coming. I... uh, there's a guy named Mario Murillo out in California. Mario Murillo is an evangelist, and he ministers to addicts and drug guys and um, gang members and people you'd never see in a church. And he goes to places like Bakersfield and Sacramento and all these places, and he's got this tent that holds 4,000 people. And he puts this tent up, and night after night it's full. This is right, like right now. It's full. It's full of people that you would never see at Christ the King or any other church, but they're coming because they're hungry and they're getting healed 
and people are coming to faith in Jesus Christ like they've never seen before. And he's, he's recruiting pastors to prepare the, the, the land before he goes. And boy, when they get there, it's packed. And he says, it's happening. It's happening. So do not be discouraged. I think the best is yet to come. Now, I've got a video of Hillsong, and it's called King of Kings. And it's, it's kind of hard to read the words, but do, do, do the best you can. But it, it just kind of gives us a sense of the life of Jesus from the time he shows up until he's glorified. And I just thought it was a, a good way to run through his life to where we are today. Amen. <laughs> 